Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and today we conclude our dynasty season. You know, it never ends. I get it. That's the whole kind of basis of dynasty, but we've gone through quarterback, running back, wide receiver. Today we get through the ever-important tight end, and damn it, people, if you are in a tight end premium league, you could argue this is the most important podcast of the group. And I have a very special guest to help me accomplish this task, co-owner of footballguys.com. You usually find him on the couch barking about football today, happy enough and we are lucky enough to have him here sigmund bloom at sigmund bloom on twitter of course sig thanks for your time my man i've been on your pod a few times first time we've had you on here and thank you my brother how you doing it's an honor and i always love getting together man i love your energy you know that and uh i love that we can still have this kind of energy we should have this kind of energy in the off season because the combine's going on uh, GMs and coaches are telling us things that are important. Decisions are going to be made. Franchise tags, free agency, the draft, the pay, plate tectonics are in motion. And in tight end, at tight end, the important thing is this can be the position with the biggest rags to riches stories and the fastest rags to riches stories, right? What do we have? We have Travis Kelsey. He was a second round pick who had microfracture surgery in his first year, yeah. right? Uh, George Kittle was a fourth round pick. Darren Waller was out of the league uh, and was a converted wide receiver. You know, even we can go back to like Antonio Gates, undrafted, right? (laughs) So your off-season research can give you the drop on everybody else. Logan Thomas was a good example of somebody. If you can get that one step ahead of the competition, use that last roster spot, maybe you can get the next Antonio Gates and the next Darren Waller. Dreams can come up. Dreams can become a reality at the tight end position, arguably yeah. more so than anywhere else in sick. I, I just love your way with words, man. I, we as a fantasy football community are blessed that you chose uh, this industry, but I firmly believe that you could talk about anything under the roof and be successful with it, man. So nice preview for all the folks out yeah. there, but let's get into it, man. You know, we're going to go through the co- kind of entire tight end landscape here and mm-hmm. let's kick things off with the first guy you mentioned, Travis Kelsey, because there are a lot of, you know, studies here on age experience and just generally speaking tight end does join quarterback as the only positions where we do have a hope of still having some high-end fantasy caliber players even later in their careers i know some people in dynasty you know they're not necessarily looking 10 years down the road maybe we just look three or five you know as great as getting the young talent is hey we're playing for a championship if we win a championship in year one that's pretty cool as well so does this in mind like do you want to keep buying travis kelsey as the overall tight end one because yeah he's getting up there in age but damn it sick if there is a player that has a chance of aging gracefully yeah i think it's probably one of the best tight ends we've ever seen attached to patrick freaking mahomes yeah and that last part's the most important part i think but if there's an argument against him as the number one fantasy tight end in dynasty leagues right now it's just simply that we don't know how good kyle pitts is going to be yeah we don't know his ceiling he has that exciting unknown ceiling he showed enough of those big boy plays by the end of the year, I think most of the things that held back pits last year were structural and not because of tight ends drafted in the first round or not because he's not suited for this. He's not going to translate. So uh, it certainly, if you look with the Calvin Ridley news all pointing in the direction of a trade, uh, Kyle Pitts lead tight ends in targets next year he can lead everyone in targets yeah he could lead the league in targets and arthur smith i I don't think is going to be shy about going back over last year and seeing where they could have done better and how they deployed him and kyle pitts is going to be better remember he's young too so i think that's if i had travis kelsey and someone offered me kyle pitts 
in the end, I would talk myself into taking it. Uh, it may be to the detriment of my team for 2022. Maybe it could be, end up being the difference. Because that's the other thing is that the Mahomes to Kelsey connection, it, it's just unstoppable. Uh, they've got Matt Nagy back, Eric Bienby back, the band's all back together. <laughs> they're going to keep, nothing about this offense is going to change significantly. So you know, it's just a question of whether you really want to push things up front. But I would say right now, Pitts is probably worth more. I would have to. Reluct- I don't want to say reluctantly, uh, but I do agree with you. Kyle Pitts, I guess my biggest issue with him this last year was the Mike Dicka storyline because we're looking at yeah. two completely different eras, two guys that played the position completely differently. Um, I was lucky enough to get to go on Chris Collinsworth, the boss man at PFF, his podcast. Yeah. And I went through this big, long uh, you know, discussion. I was like, Chris, doesn't piss you off that you know we got Kyle Pitts doing this and Dicka? And I go through this 30 or 40 second spiel about it, you know, hoping to come off as you know smart in front of Chris. And Chris mm-hmm. just responds. He goes, Ian, I don't care. I just like hearing your voice start fluctuating when you get excited and you start going on and on. So I was like, all right, fair point. But at the end of the day, Kyle Pitts, all the dick shit aside, he just went for a thousand yards as a 21 year old rookie. Yeah. Call him a tight end, call him a wide receiver. The guy can put up some big numbers. So, you know, him, Kelsey, Mark Andrews, I can put George Kittle as well. Let's take Kelsey out of the equation for a second. I think you kind of already said Pitts is your um, tight end one. So let's look at Mark Andrews versus Mm -hmm. George Kittle. How would you kind of rank these guys in dynasty? But then on the other side of things, like, can we agree that George Kittle as a real life tight end oh. asset is the best in the game? I mean, oh, yeah, he's the archetype. Yeah. He's the archetype. He's what every coach wants at tight end. Mismatches, schmish, smashes, although he creates <laughs> schmish, smashes. He creates smashes, right? Uh, so, but I do think his dynasty value is going down. The thing about George Kittle is, Three or four times a year, he's going to give you that week winning performance. You're going to get that nine for 189 and two touchdowns or something like that. But in other games, he can be marginalized out of the game plan. And that was with Jimmy Garoppolo. All signs are pointing to Trey Lance being the starter. Uh, Adam Schefter now changing his tune. You know, a week and a half ago, he's like, yeah, maybe they'll keep him. Now he's saying sources expect him to be traded <laughs> by the end of the month. So it's Trey Lance's time. But Ian, what, what are we looking at for a typical range of pass attempts for this offense with Trey Lance? 15 to 22? That's the thing, man. Trey Lance is amazing for Trey Lance. I'm not so sure it's good news for anyone else. And that no. includes Kittle. No. It includes Debo. It includes Ayuk and Mitchell. Includes- exactly. And that's the problem is that they have Samuel and Ayuk who are compelling targets in their own right. So we could see a lot of two for 27 kind of games from Kittle. Andrews is uh, he really broke out in a way that I don't think anybody expected. But part of that is something that is sustainable, which is Lamar Jackson throwing more and throwing efficiently and productively. Uh, but then in the second half of the year, when Tyler Huntley took over, Andrew's value sustained and Marquise Brown and the downfield passing really didn't. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Andrews was in that hot zone for Tyler Huntley, which was great if you had Mark Andrews and he helped you win a title. But I don't know if that's sustainable. I think Marquise Brown is probably the guy that's been overshadowed a little bit there. But if, again, if I had Kittle, Based on where they're at in their career arcs, and someone offered me Andrews, I'd probably take Andrews. Did it seem like this year that Andrews kind of took that next step, just becoming more dominant to you, like film-wise? I know the targets boomed this year, and to your point, you know, Huntley was just targeting with reckless abandon. The same thing with Josh Johnson. Like, a lot of it was volume-based, but to me, this wasn't in no shade on Zach Ertz. He's had some great years of his career, but, you know, when he was a top-three tight end, it was because he was getting 150-plus targets. I never really confused him as a top-three real-life tight end. To me, Andrews was the guy that, you know, we kept kind of 
of looking for that touchdown regression. But man, last year, whether it was yards after the catch, just going up and getting it, he looked like a legit top three tight end, not better yeah. than Kittle. But man, Mark Andrews, he is a force to be reckoned with out there. Yeah, he's developing. And I think what you saw is you mentioned Zach Ertz. I'll throw another name I'll throw out there. It's like Austin Hooper, yeah. right? There are uh, Dalton Schultz. I mean, there are <laughs> tight ends who by virtue of the role they play in the offense, by virtue of their volume, if as long as they're competent, as long as they can just execute when the ball is thrown to them, they're not going to add value as runners after the catch. They're not going to make catches that they're not supposed to make, but they're going to harvest all the value against defenses that are more concerned about other players, right? Um, I think that that might be a little bit more of Andrew's value earlier in his career yeah. when you're loaded up to stop the running game and you're loaded up to control Lamar Jackson. And that leaves the middle of the field open. The light uh, of the heavy boxes leave that middle of the field open. Like you said, last year, I think what we saw is Andrew's creating more of his own value. Yeah. Andrew's making more of those plays where he's adding the value. Um, so the beautiful thing is unlike Dalton Schultz, <laughs> unlike Zach Ertz now two times because he's going to leave Arizona. You're not going to see, you're going to see the convergence of the volume and the role and the player adding value. So his value looks real stable. One guy that we know he has all the, you could call him a wide receiver. I don't think anyone would really disagree. Darren Waller. It was a weird 2021 for him. He has the week one game and it was like, my God, is this dude going to average 20 targets a game for the rest of the season? Goes on, kind of slows down a little bit. Everyone was screaming, you know, week seven or eight. Okay, this is when we buy low. Then he gets hurt. Didn't really have a chance to come back out there on the field. He will be 30 in September. Mm-hmm. Do you think we've already seen the best from Darren Waller? Because as great of a story he is, as great of a talent he is, let's face it, he's been in an offense without a bunch of target competition. And as much as age doesn't matter, it's not exactly, he's not exactly on the right side of that spectrum. Either. Yeah. And I think his case is a little bit different where he may well still be like Travis Kelsey, you know, in the yeah. middle of his career arc, as opposed to near the end of it. I certainly don't think we saw a physical drop off from him no. last year, but he was inconsistent and it was a weird year. Like you said, cause the first game would he get 19 targets. It was ridiculous, man. I mean, uh, <laughs> doing the math in my head really quick. That's like, uh, over 300 targets for a season, you know, um, on a 17 game season. But even after we like took that outlier out, which I don't even necessarily like to do, like how many tight ends no. do have the range of Ex- are good enough to get 19. that. Yeah. Even removing that. If you, if you want to be a dick and remove that, he was still top three. Yeah, and he was consistent in so much that he very rarely, unlike, say, Kittle, was he a landmine for your lineup. But also very rarely was he adding value the way that Kittle does with big games. Um, The other side of this, too, is that Josh McDaniels is there. So this is one of the teams where we have an unknown, unknown. Although I don't think it's too much of a leap. So you can say, what is uh, this coach done in the past? But then you can also say, if we think they're a competent coach, what do they have? They're probably going to build around that, right? What is the strength of this offense? It's tight end. It's Waller and Foster Moreau. Yeah, you knew we were going to talk about Foster Moreau today, didn't you? It was only a matter of time, man. (laughs) We were like, the the 10-minute mark or so, what did you have with Foster Moreau? (laughs) Because he's a player. He's a player. I know in fantasy. Everyone would know who Foster Moreau was if Jason Witten didn't take that weird, you know, Las Vegas sabbatical thing. John Gruden's gone, so we don't have to worry about that <laughs> stuff, right? Yeah, and I think that Foster Moreau, even though the fantasy community, which is so results-based, might look at what happened with him last year where he came out with a bang uh, the first time he got to replace Waller, and then 
early on when he was placing Waller the second time, uh, Hunter Renfro actually stole the spotlight. Yeah. But Moreau's a good player. And we know with the Hernandez-Gronk model that Josh McDaniels can create an offense around these guys that helps the running game, helps Josh Jacobs, but also can keep defenses off balance because these are both guys that are very viable targets in the passing game. And don't get me wrong, Waller's still going to have more value than Moreau, yeah. but I think you're going to have a much more close to e closer to even split than what we saw last year. So that's also a structural problem. And maybe it could make Waller more efficient per target on a lower volume. And I th certainly think that Waller belongs in the top, I mean, maybe tight end five. I guess that's about the highest we could put him now, yeah. right? I mean, Waller versus Kittle, as it was a debate last year, will be a debate this year, but probably more for the four or five spot than for the two and three spot. And uh, I, I, so I think that statistically for fantasy, we probably have seen the best of Darren Waller. But if Josh McDaniels utilizes these players in a more effective way in an offense that is very light at wide receiver now, we'll see what they do in free agency. We'll see what they do in the draft. Um, I mean, and that's another thing, I suppose. I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth uh, <laughs> and say that, well, you know, actually, I suppose that we shouldn't. Uh, discount the possibility of Waller's volume staying high because this is a tight end centric offense. Yeah. And it's not, there's no rule that says, you know, 60% of the targets have to go to wide receivers. No, no, they don't. Yeah. Uh, so it'll be interesting. So there's a back door there for Waller to be okay because he can still in an, he can still be in an offense that actually is very tight end centric. So even if his share of the tight end targets is smaller, if the pie of tight end targets gets bigger, he'll be okay. I think Foster Moreau too is a great, you know, when we have some of these dynasty startups where you're doing legit 25 plus rounds, like even if you have Waller early, don't be afraid to go grab no. Foster Moreau late. The guy's not even 25 years old uh, yet. Um, you know, we, we all love Matt Kelly, uh, the pod father uh, here. And yeah. he was on the pod. He brought up the good point how, you know, in redraft and best ball, we kind of talk about how, okay, if you take, uh, you know, Zico Elliott in round two and Tony Pollard in round 10, like you're not getting the best out of both of those guys. So you're really not helping your upside by, you know, handcuffing yourself. Dynasty is completely different, though. That is yeah. a situation where, hey, maybe handcuffing can lead uh, to best value. So I'm not saying Foster Moreau is that Dallas Goddard or Smith type of talent. People really kind of expected him to be. I think when Waller got hurt and Moreau was on the cover of every single waiver wire article <laughs> in the industry. But man, yeah. Sig, like we've still seen several times now, even going back to his rookie year, of him putting up some decent numbers. As far as backup tight ends around the league go, and you know, running back is really the I don't want to say easiest because we know how funky the committees can get, but like you know, yeah. trying to handcuff wide receivers and tight ends is far more difficult than running backs. With that said, Foster Moreau, man, I could think of way worse starts later in these uh, yeah. sort of dynasty startups. So, yeah, and I mean, it's a great time to bring up you know, there's names people need to know, like Noah Gray, yeah. Harrison Bryant, let's get backup weird. tight ends. We let's spend the whole hour talking about <laughs> backup tight ends because there are players that, uh, like Foster Moreau, had that instant value. Noah yeah. Gray could be that guy next year if the, Travis Kelsey, uh, you know, perish the thought goes down. And I think you also bring up a good point about how the fantasy community, as I hinted at, had such a response to Moreau that it creates these elevated expectations. So if he's just merely startable some of the time as a waiver wire tight end, that's a hit, that's a win, yeah. but it feels like a loss because the echo chamber is so loud now. 
that echo chamber does get ridiculous. And especially when you go on Twitter during the off season, man, there's always someone out there oh, saying man. Twitter's too high on this guy. They're too low on uh, this guy. Where do you I know? go to find out what Twitter thinks anyway? Cause <laughs> I didn't realize that it was a, a monolithic idea. My goodness. The world we live in these days. Yeah, right. You uh, you mentioned before Darren Waller, tight end five. That, that's where I have him. If you want to bump him up or down a spot, you know, I'm not going to disagree. But I think the consensus generally is Andrews, Pitts, Kittle, Kelsey, Waller, in some order, making up the majority yeah. of the top five. After that, I think there's a pretty interesting three-headed, you know, monster. We got TJ Hawkinson, Dallas Goddard, Dawson Knox. This is not that dragon meme where, you know, you got the two beasts and the one, you know, really right. funky one. Not quite that. All these guys are, you know, pretty young. They've each flashed uh, to a fairly high level when they've had their opportunity. So, Sig, buy, sell, hold out of Hawkinson, Goddard, and Knox. Hawkinson, I think, is either a sell or a hold. And the only reason I'm I put it in between because I don't know that you're going to find anybody that's going to pay what they would have paid for him last year. Yeah. Um, we're going to either look back at Hawkinson's first three years and say things didn't quite line up for him, whether it be because of injuries or the situation. But then once he hit his prime and under Dan Campbell, good head coach, by the way, and oh, yeah. underrated offensive minds. No more Dan Campbell jokes. No more jokes about buying kneecaps. You know, Brad Holmes. <laughs> I think that Detroit is getting this organization, this team going in the right direction, and maybe the team could start to peak as he's hitting his peak, and we'll look back at the first three years as an aberration, or we'll look back at the first three years and say, that's just who he is. Yeah, It's just not always going to come together. It's going to come together for a game or two. He's not a field stretcher. He's not a big play tight end. He's not necessarily even one of those tight ends that creates value on his own, like I was talking about earlier. So that makes him more of a sell because I think if you look at his age, if you look at the the just the numbers, the basics, his best should be yet to come. Um, another positive thing here is we just mentioned the name Ben Johnson. Players love him. Amon St. Brown, Amon Ross St. Brown really loves him. Said that he was basically responsible for his late season breakout. But again, Amon Ross St. Brown is the one saying, hey, that, you know, Ben Johnson was now, granted, Hawkinson was banged up, but, you know, we'll see what the Lions do to bolster their wide receiver group. We had a situation going into last year, Ian. It could not have been more set up for TJ Hawkinson, right? In the first few games, it looked like he, sure enough, he was going to be a great volume based play. And then again, injuries get in the way, structural things get in the way. And I don't think he's going to have as good a situation again. He didn't hit, so probably looking to sell. I think that's fair. Yeah, I mean, after that first three weeks, it was like, you know, the victory lappers were out and yeah. about. Uh, right. Unfortunately, now, yeah. I mean, like you said, I think injuries have more to do with it than anything. But Now, Goddard is a little bit tougher because yeah. he has looked dominant. Goddard at his best has looked better than Hawkinson at his best, at least as a receiver in the things we care about in fantasy football. Uh, where's this offense going? Who's going to be the quarterback in two years? I know who the quarterback's going to be this year. Who's going to be I don't think it hurts, year? man. I, I you know, every well, that, well, look, that's it. So you, your reaction tells the whole story. Yeah. Um, so there's just this uncertainty. That's probably uh, good uncertainty to gamble on, honestly. Well, because it can get worse than a situation last year. Probably, probably not. Yeah. So but I think Goddard as a talent in an atomic way, in a vacuum, I want in on that. Let's buy. Let's buy, baby. Right. So chances are that's the right answer. Yeah. Knox is, I think that the market is lower on Knox than it should be as it is. So he's probably a buy just simply to correct that inefficiency. Because I think that there are more people looking at, well, there was a good piece, Joe Buscaglia, who's, he's outstanding, oh, covering yeah. the bills for a long time at The Athletic. 
you know, he put out a piece uh, earlier this offseason saying, except for touchdowns, look for Knox's numbers to go up. And it, what's interesting, here's a good analytics debate for you, Ian, because um, he cited as evidence that his value was going to go, or at least his numbers were going to go up, except for his touchdown rate, which was pretty high. Um, that he had the one of the lowest, I think he was 26th in targets per route run hmm. among tight ends that qualify. Yeah, 71 you, targets in 15 games. I mean, that's awful low. Yeah, and and he and but yeah, he's still running routes on a lot of plays. Yeah, still out there, which some might say, well, he's not earning targets. Like he's not earning targets from Josh Allen now. Then how how's that an indicator? That's actually an indicator that he's not going to earn more targets. But look, he's a player entering his fourth year. Um, he came into the league. Uh, as a projection, right? An amazing athletic projection. People probably don't know that Dawson Knox athletically is a first round pick. Athletically, as far as measurables, Dawson Knox can hang with any of these. Guys. Before last year, man, like he was not producing in fantasy. I get that, but yeah. you could not watch a Bills game without seeing him flash at least right receiver or a blocker, man. Like those uh, pop passes they do, they uh, always do to Isaiah McKenzie. Like they use Knox as the lead blocker. That dude is nasty at the point. Of yeah, he is. And 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 they, I think last offseason they wanted to improve at the tight end position, and kind of by default they had to say, well, let's just see what Knox can do. And well, he can do a lot. They and brought we'll in Hollister they... in the summer, and we. We were hearing, you know, and I don't think the oh, Bills reporters ooh. were lying to us, but no. it seemed like it was an co- open competition. Yeah. Fair play at Knox, he won it. And he won it, and he uh, and let's watch to see if he earns an extension. Because yeah. if he earns an extension this offseason, because some of this is simple. Like, I get it. Look at the analytics and so on and so forth. How can a player's uh, role grow in that kind of situation? And we're going to watch to see what happens with Emmanuel Sanders. I know there's a Gabriel Davis debate here, but we're talking tight ends. Um, and if they extend him, he's a player going into his fourth year. He's still on the upside of his career arc. He was at Ole Miss. He had trouble staying on the field. He was playing with A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf. Jordan Tamu got drafted by the USFL, by the way. That's that? right. Number two overall. Right. He was number one on my board. Uh, <laughs> let's debate USFL picks. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of reasons to think that this, we haven't seen the best version of him yet. You don't have to get into the analytics. You don't have to get into this. And again, like Travis Kelsey, he's got a relationship with a quarterback who creates great fantasy value around him. So I think that Knox has got to be a buy. Yeah, I mean, honestly, when it's just like, okay, the Buffalo Bills offense is going to have Josh Allen under center for the next decade plus, probably having anyone around there is going to yeah. be pretty damn good. All right, Noah Fant, still just 24. He's had to play through a million injuries. I was really thinking last year would be the breakout. GB situation didn't exactly help him. We also had Albert O. Not inexplicably splitting time. I think Albert O does bring a lot to the table. I mean, hell, we took that one five-yard curl for like 60 yards. He had right. Albert O is fine, but I still think Noah Fant just has his untapped ceiling. Sig, can you name a better, like low-end-ish tight end one option? We'll say, you know, like tight end eight or lower. That has the ability to leap into the top five by next year. Cause man, I feel like new coaching, you know, new coaching staff in Denver, maybe a new quarterback. If Fant can just get the usual, you know, tight end one starter opportunity with a little bit of an improvement at quarterback, I feel like by this time next year, he could be in that top five conversation. Or am I maybe just overhyping the dude a little bit? I think he might be overhyping. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) No, no, no. Well, look, there's a lot to untangle here. First of all, Noah Fant, although athletically he's a marvel. Yeah is not a highly skilled tight end. He's not a highly, he's not as far as his route running, as far as his ability to create after the catch, his ability to win at the catch point. 
what he offers, what got him drafted in the first round was his athletic profile, but you don't see plays that, like you said about Dawson Knox, like you'll see a play and you'll see his athleticism come out in the way he executes in the play. You don't see that as often with Fant. I think the Broncos have been disappointed in Fant, to be honest. You know, my co-host Cecil Lambie is all up in that Broncos beat. And I think the Broncos are pretty disappointed in what they've gotten from Fant. Albert O, even though Drew Locke isn't going to be there to target his old college buddy there, Albert O athletically is an equal to Fant. Don't let the difference in draft capital throw you off the scent there. Um, then you also have that they extended Tim Patrick. You have the, they extended Cortland Sutton. They still have Jerry Judy. They still have KJ Hamler. And who's going to play quarterback? Who's going to play quarterback? Jimmy Garoppolo. A lot of mouths to feed. And Kenny, you know, Kenny Pickett. Maybe. And they're probably going to bring back Melvin Gordon. Right. Or if not, I, I, I tell you what, if they don't bring back Melvin Gordon, don't be surprised if they make either another move at running back or if Mike Boone gets a lot more work. Than oh, say, don't put that out there in the world, man. I'm, well, I'm, what I'm trying to say is this is just not a good environment for, I don't even care who it is. Ian. I don't care who was in Noah Fant's. Uh, now, the, now, now, the, unfortunately, because he was a first-round pick and tight end fifth-year options are cheap, they'll probably exercise the fifth-year option because it's just kind of a no-brainer. I mean, that's why David and Joku and Evan Ingram had their options because it's just too cheap. I mean, it's it's not a big price. So, you really, with Fant, you're looking at getting him and hoping that his second team is where he blossoms because I just don't think it's going to happen in Denver. We can't have second team tight ends work out like way more than wide receivers and running backs uh, at least, but it's not a great uh, track record. So I've been doing some work this week, looking at, you know, high price free agents that leave oh. the team because my, you know, assumption going into kind of the study was like, okay, if you're not good enough to fetch a trade and your new team has had a long look at you and they just say, all right, yeah. you know, good luck yeah. on the open market. Yeah. Right. Track record isn't good. So, you know, we've had, let's see since 2016 about, uh, nine tight ends leave sign with a new team get a contract worth at least 20 million here's the list real quick with john U. smith austin hooper hunter henry kobe fleener trey burton jimmy graham packers version sheriff jesse james martellus bennett and ladarius green oh what a name, what a you name. had to go there with green didn't you had to pull this sword out for this. I still think the Steelers signed Eric Ebron because they were trying to find Ladarius Green, <laughs> which shows you how pathetic the Steelers have been with their free agent moves at tight end. But maybe, just maybe, nice little segue here. Into yeah. The question they hit on a rookie from last year, Pat Fryermuth, one of several tight ends that still aren't even 24, that I think have, you know, fair a fair argument to be um, an upside option, you know, around that tight end 10 to 13 range. Pat Fryermuth, Cole Komet with the Bears, and Irv Smith with the Vikings. How would you rank these guys in Dynasty Land, just between uh, the three of them, Fryermuth, yeah. Komet, and Irv? Yeah, I would say um... – Irv, maybe uh, a medium gap to Fryermuth. Mm-hmm. I'm an erotic Steelers fan. Okay. And then a, a decent <laughs> drop to Cole Komet. I mean, I, I just didn't see it with Cole Komet. I, I know he was a solid high floor player. I get it. The Bears, let's just say the Bears' evaluation of tight ends is not necessarily something you should put a lot of stock in. Yeah, fair. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think it's Darnell Mooney's offense. I, I'm excited to see what can happen. Luke Getze and what you can get out of Justin Fields. It's just a mess. It's just not okay. Who in the passing game has been an overachiever in Chicago since? Well, I mean, maybe things can change, but I'm not gonna. 
I'm not going to bet on that. Since the Marsh Alshon days, I can't. Yeah, yeah, that's it. No, Darnell Mooney. <laughs> Darnell Mooney was fine for a, a second half of your draft pick after redraft leagues, but it was still frustrating. Um, Frymuth in the middle. I love how rugged he is. I like the edge he plays with. Obviously, you can look at analytics and say his rookie year producing the numbers he kind of did portends something even bigger and better down the line. I just think this the Steelers are probably poised to be one of the worst fantasy offenses for a while. I really do. Maybe a quarterback will fall to them. Maybe it'll be Kenny Pickett in his eight and a half inch hands. But I, I, I just, I, I don't think, again, it's not going to create overachievers. The Vikings are interesting. The Vikings are interesting because um, Adam Thielen is probably in his last year. It looks like they're going to keep Kirk Cousins. looks like Kevin O'Connell to band together one more year. It seems like the Will family wants to say, hey, we can maybe still be Super Bowl contenders. Let's try it. Mm. Um, but I think that Adam Thielen's probably gone after this year. Uh, and you have in Irv Smith, somebody, it's interesting that you say this too, right? Because it's like these tight ends are not even 24. Frymuth came into the league last year, Cole Komet two years ago. <laughs> Smith is going into his fourth year now. Right. And injuries have robbed us from getting a chance to see what he can do. So I, I would still take the unknown there over the known partially because of the offense and partially because he, his, because he's further into his career arc, I think his, his arc can go higher. And I mean, you look at his injury history and I'm definitely team like fade injury prone narratives because more times than not, I think it's a lot of, you know, hot air and it really doesn't exist. But Herb, since he's coming to the league, he's had a couple groin strains. I think it was probably the same injury. And then he had the knee meniscus tear last year in August and taking the whole year off. You would think that he'll be 100 percent by the time week one comes along. New coaching staff. His problem the first two years was basically like Dallas Goddard. He was just behind a tight end that even if he was maybe more talented at that point, they were splitting targets and snaps. And when you're splitting targets and snaps, and at least as fantasy is concerned, it's going to be, you're going to be hard pressed to produce a single fantasy relevant tight end out of there. So Irv Smith, man, sick. He's got like an ADP tight end 18 on underdog yeah, right now. Like we're, we're talking dynasty, but and Tyler Conklin's a free agent. I know. And he's going to be another one that gets overpaid somewhere. I mean, he's going to get eight mil, nine mil a year, probably. Buy uh, Irv Smith now because as soon as Conklin gets overpaid exactly. somewhere else, everyone's going to come around to it. Thank you, Ian. We need to come up with a name for this, like a catchy phrase or, or label for situations <laughs> that anybody who's paying attention can see coming. Yeah. But yet, when the news actually drops, the value still goes up. It's these are this is low hanging fruit. It's easy money if you get in on Herb Smith. If you get one takeaway from this podcast, people buy Herb Smith. Yeah. All right, so you mentioned the guy before, Dalton Schultz. Interesting news came out today because uh, I thought the Cowboys might be inclined to move on from him if the price tag was too hefty because Blake Jarwin low key. Now he, you know, missed the whole season aside from like the first half of the first game in 2020 comes in last year, kind of gets beat up by Dalton Schultz and then gets hurt again. But prior to that, the Cowboys gave Blake Jarwin a contract that total value is the 13th highest in the league. Now, apparently Blake Jarwin has had to undergo a hip surgery, which is Ugh. not a doctor, but they're saying like, this is primarily for hockey players and basketball players. Like, yeah. Just not good by any stretch of the imagination. With that said, we got Dalton Schultz and CJ Uzama, who both kind of strike me as tight ends where it's like, hey, Schultz is on the Cowboys, Uzama's on the Bengals. I'm in. That's that's fine. I'm happy to invest in them at their price. But, man, that new environment could be scary. Mentioned the, you know, list of high-priced free agent mm-hmm. tight ends that have gone elsewhere. Are we on the same page here where Schultz and Uzama, yeah, they found kind of their fit, and that's fine. But mm-hmm. these are guys, man, where if someone wants to pay them $10 million a year, I'm probably not going to be chasing them. No, but I don't think we necessarily have to – 
ponder that. That's I right. think if one is going to be on a new team, it's more likely to be Uzoma. Yeah. Although remember, he was a vocal leader of that team. He was somebody that Joe Burrow, whenever defenses maybe were taking away the wide receivers, Uzoma had a couple of really big games. Yeah. Remember that Jacksonville game was a turning point in their season. It really was. They cited that game when they were down 14 nothing, about to go down 21 nothing at the half. They made the stop at the goal line. Sound familiar? Yeah. Uh, and Uzoma was a big part of that team. And I, I think that they want to keep the band together. They want to get back to the Super Bowl right away. Also reasonable to think that year two off a of freaking Achilles tear, he could be a yeah, better version of Yeah, be even better. So now, again, like we talked about, if he changes teams, all bets are off. Right. Uh, Schultz, I almost feel like it's inevitable that the Cowboys are going to keep him. And I say that because you can look at the landscape here. You have Amari Cooper, Stephen Jones saying, it's too early. What do you mean it's too early? It's your job. It's right. too early. Talk <laughs> about what you're going to do about Amari Cooper. He's got a $20 million cap number, only $6 million in dead cap. He's not that happy with the team. The team's not that happy with him. Uh, a trade, maybe? I don't think he'll be released. I don't know. I just know that Cooper is not 100% back on the Cowboys. Michael Gallup's free agent coming off an ACL tear. They're probably not going to pay him. Someone else, will over, someone else will overpay him. Maybe overpay him in terms of what the market looks like. If he plays up to his potential, it'll look like a good deal. Worth noting with Gallup, too. He just had his surgery, like, in the beginning yeah. of February. I know, the there was swelling. There complications going yeah. on. Like, that's terrible news, man, because he it tore is. that it in, is. like, December. So even Cedric Wilson is a free agent who came on late. So, you know, they've got some decisions to make. But Dalton Schultz is that guy that Dak Prescott's so comfortable targeting him. Um, again, defenses are going to load box to take away Ezekiel Elliott to contain the running game. Uh, you have C.D. Lamb. You have Amari Cooper who can stretch the field. That leaves all those easy targets for Dalton Schultz. So maybe in the case of Dalton Schultz, uh, Ian, this is one of the situations, like, it's when the news comes down that he resigned. Mm-hmm. that he gets the value because we're already baking in, we're already pricing in this idea that he's the next Austin Hooper. And he might be, but I, if I had to, again, props, right? We got draft position props. We're going to have free agency props. I like it. Man, I like it. Come on. we're going to figure out how to monetize all of our analysis <laughs> uh, in terms of betting markets. But I would say that I would put the Cowboys as the favorite to be his 2022 and beyond team. Franchise tag seems like it would make a lot of sense. 11 million. Yeah. yeah 11 on. million, which is, for, I mean, probably his per value, per year value on the open markets more than that anyway. Find out if last year was a fluke. I, I don't think it really was. He He's wasn't. competent. Exactly. He's very competent. He wasn't ripping off like ridiculous chunk gains that you just thought were fluky. He, you know, he wasn't doing ridiculous things, but that kind of makes you think he could probably go back and do it again. Yeah. You know, do you want him to be your number one pass game option? No, but you got CD lamb who I think is more than capable of filling that need. We talked a little bit earlier about Kyle Pitts and, you know, him more or less being a wide receiver, you know, only guy that I think more fits that bill is Mike Jasicki, but you know what? He's called a tight end fantasy. So I will spare the listeners, you know, the 90th time I've ranted about this over the years. So the one, interesting thing was listening to Mike McDaniel and I'm not taking a ton of uh you know ton of stock from what the coaches are saying at the combine in February March but with that said McDaniel was talking about you know having Jasicki there seemed like he was working on the assumption that he would be back maybe they try to tag him as a tight end we'll see uh what Mike's able to do uh, kind of in that arbitration uh potential Anyway, the one thing McDaniel said was that, you know, they want to utilize what Jasicki does best and also maybe get him to just be a better blocker, round out his game a little bit. Could we be looking at a big breakout for Jasicki? I know we were talking about Noah Fant earlier, and I I think you're right. We haven't seen, you know, him just 
play above expectation from what you know maybe he's getting with the targets Jasicki on the other hand I mean that's athletic profile is borderline erotic and we have right. seen him win one out like he's a hard guy to freaking cover Sig so mm-hmm. if you look at the situation having Parker and Waddle there hasn't exactly helped him be featured could the best of Mike Jasicki still be the comp yes yes and yes and I can tell an easy story on this one and I think absolutely the franchise tag is inevitable here if they don't sign it because $11 million is probably I'm more confident that he'll get more than that on the open market than I am with Dalton Schultz. Uh, and then you bring in the Mike McDaniel. This is going to be fun, by the way. Yeah. Nobody that looks like Mike McDaniel has ever been an NFL head coach. He's one of us. He's a fun guy. I mean, he, he's, a, he's a fun guy. He's very cerebral about the game. He's very genuine. Uh, it, I really hope that he does well because I think it'll be a referendum on what does it have. You have to truly be a football guy, even though I work for football guys, uh, <laughs> uh, to be an NFL head coach. And why has he got risen so uh, fast, so high? Uh, because of his mind for the game. And you hope that he's a humble guy who, again, looks at what he has and says, what can I do with this? Because Mike Kosicki, I believe, Ian, I think he had the third most targets of any tight end last year. He's up there. And, and it, was a, it was a pretty nondescript year for fantasy, but you can tell that story because the offense was a mess. Three years, three different ideas about offensive coordinators, and it just never seemed to come together. They didn't seem to be using Tua Tungabailoa to his strengths. And you hope that Mike McDaniel comes in and just says, okay, what can Tua do? RPOs, you know, what he's, he's good at ball handling. You know, he's good at fakes. He's good at misdirecting the offense and we can win with our uh, formation. We can win with our motion. We can do these things so that the game is easier for him and we can use what we have. Uh, Offense wise, structurally, you have Jalen Waddle and yes, Jalen Waddle is probably one of those players that if you overpay for him right now, it'll look like a good deal in about six months. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you, or seven months, I guess it's only March. You know, the idea is like, if you pay, if you go above and beyond, throw in a second round pick, throw in a, a, a prospect, you know, throw in whatever you need to, to get Jalen Waddle done. Cause he really could make that leap up into the top five, top 10 next year. But who else is riding shotgun in that offense? Probably Mike, man. And you are Mike Jasicki. He yeah. was actually fifth in targets, but to your point, I mean, third was Zach Ertz at 108. Pitts was at 107. Jasicki was at 106. So he really okay. was right there in that tier. And, you know, similar to Waddle where it's like, okay, I think we're all in agreement that we haven't seen the best version of this Dolphins offense. So if what we've seen from Jasicki is the floor, we can work right. with that. Exactly. So there's a whole thing here. You need to take a stand, folks on this Dolphins offense because it can improve greatly from the last time we saw it, utilization and uh, efficiency uh, for everybody in this offense. So this is one to watch really closely and it's fun to bet on Mike McDaniel. It's fun to bet on this team to get a lot better on offense because they have some fun talents that aren't being used well. Always say, let's try to buy players closer to their floor than ceiling. We have an absurdly talented tight end that should might as well be a wide receiver that we've seen provide the very same upside tight end to value that he's being priced at. God forbid a couple things start breaking his way. Then we're looking at maybe this is, you know, I said before with Noah Fant being the top five guy, I know just, I know Mike's not even being priced as a low end tight end one option, but man, if we just see this Dolphins offense, take a leap forward and Jacecki's going to be their number two option. I wouldn't be shocked if we see him being priced as a legit tight end one as early as next year, man. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So two more questions for you, Sid. Great stuff. 
your favorite late round dart tight end that most people probably have ranked outside the top 20 options. So not someone that you're relying on as a starter, maybe someone that you still like at the tail end. And I, I, there's no way I could name just one person here. And I I, I, I want to just, first, I want to just put a few names on people's radar. We already talked about Foster Moreau. Foster Moreau is a really good answer to this question. Maybe he should have been my answer to this question. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm watching to see what happens with Mo Alley Cox in free agency. Nice. As you should. (laughs) Because, I mean, I'm watching Mo Alley Cox all the time because he's just awesome. How can you not watch him? He's the biggest player in the NFL. Exactly. Right. (laughs) Seven foot four, 200 pounds. Um, uh, I'm going to just listen to the, any chirps and murmurs about Kenny Yeboah. Ooh. Another old Miss talent with the Jets. Uh, uh, just because, again, um, he's hanging around as an undrafted free agent, and the Chris Herndon thing is over, obviously, uh, and so on. So far. Um, uh, I'm watching that. In the back of your mind, just I hope that this isn't it for Max Williams, but people forget that Max Williams was producing very well when he went down last year, and that was with that was with all the wide receivers on the field too. Um, if he rehabs well, I don't even know off the top of my head what his contract status is, but it's just something to file away. But he's, I think he's, he's unrestricted right now, so it just right. kind of depends. So, so we'll see. We'll see. Maybe he can come back on a on a discounted deal, uh, coming off of injury because he's he really was breaking out last year. After it seemed like knee injuries were going to keep him from ever fulfilling his second round potential. Uh, but the name, I think, there's an obvious name here, and it, 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 the number one A takeaway is Brevin Jordan. Yeah. I, I mean, it's got to be Brevin Jordan. It's got to be Brevin Jordan. I mean, it's it's so obvious. Um, and I think there was just some positive uh, pieces about him as far as his role growing. You see him with great chemistry with Davis Mills. Um, what else is there? Brandon Cooks probably isn't even going to be with the team. You know, you're going to be bringing up guys like Nico Collins, et cetera, like developing with Davis Mills. Uh, Brevin Jordan easily could – some of these names we talked about at the top of the show, Ian. Brevin Jordan could be in that mix with them in, in redraft leagues next year easily. So this is when you write in pen in your best <laughs> ball drafts right now, write it in pen, you know, take him a round or two before ADP. And if ADP goes up a round or two, take him a round or two before that. <laughs> all right. Mo Alley Cox, Fossa Moreau, Kenny Yeboah. These are all good guys, but in pen, Brevin Jordan, love that yeah. call. Sick. Look, it's great when we can get Dawson Knox and these guys attached to great offenses. But if we can't, let's get a talented tight end that at least has a chance to be their offense's number one or number two pass yeah. game option. What we don't want is the number four, number five pass game option on a bad offense. That's what we cannot yeah. live with. So why are you bringing up Noah Fan again? Here I go. Here I go, Sig. I'm just, you know, I'm done with Noah Fan after these 45 minutes. I'm sorry, Noah. I'm sorry I had to go this way. <laughs> Final thing, Sig, a guy I'm not out on. Mm-hmm. David Najoku. Now we're hearing some absurd. I think the uh, pro football talk article is saying the Browns might be willing to pay eight figures to keep David Najoku, even yeah. though they're already paying Austin Hooper, that Harrison Bryant, someone you mentioned there. Like I think any of those Browns tight ends, if they were just left alone, the offense could put up big numbers, but when they're being used like the Colts do just three tight ends at a time, it's hard for anyone to thrive. What's your favorite potential landing spot from Najoku and why is it the Chargers? Yeah, but to, hey, let's not just push Donald Parham out the door, okay? I don't I think he can play okay. three downs, man. Yeah, I love my XFL no. guy as well, but. No, I hear you. I hear you. He might always be that second fiddle. And I, I so, yeah, Njoku is all of the immense physical ability that Njoku has 
it, we see it. We even saw it at times last year, but they yeah, just the don't utilize it. Yeah. So sure, the Chargers, or this is one of the things about free agency that's a fun like sorting exercise. Is generally you would think the team that ends up with the player is the team that wanted the player the most, and the team that wants the player the most has a good plan for using him. Doesn't always work out that way. <laughs> so yeah, we'd love to see that with the Chargers, but I want the Chargers to get Chandler Jones, man. That's true. Why are the Cardinals not keeping him, man? I mean, I, this is the price tag, I guess. <laughs> Don't even try to make sense of what the Cardinals It's <laughs> a very good point. Hey, Njoku on the Cardinals, man. Like, if there is a team, if you're a believer in, you know, vacated targets and all that, David Njoku, the Cardinals, would make a lot of sense. I tend to think they'll bring Ertz back. I, I think when you make these in-season trades for someone, you know, we've seen it with uh, the Jamal Adams contract and Jalen Ramsey. They just have so much power over the team uh, when they should probably be, you know, taking the sunk cost, uh, you know, fallacy a little bit more to heart uh, and all that. But all that aside, Sig, fantastic stuff. Thank you for the time, man. Again, people can find you on Twitter at Sigmund Bloom. Always doing fantastic stuff, footballguys.com. And, you know, truly think you run one of the best podcasts in the game on the couch. Anything else you want to get off your chest? No, nothing right now. I just look forward to when we can get together again. Love your yes, work, sir. everyone over there at PFF. Say hi to Dwayne. Will do. Dwayne McFarlane, I know, is a huge fan. So Dwayne was rocking a cowboy hat on the pod yesterday. Ooh. How about that? Guy looks good in a cowboy hat, even had the toothpick hanging out as well. For Sig, I'm Ian. Thank you all for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Until next time, take care, everybody.